If your faith in Christ is not leading you to live a lifestyle of devotion to Jesus, then you're in danger. It's a message that America needs to hear today. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Inwardly, they live like the world, and they don't follow Christ. A lie of adultery is what most Americans live, Lord God. The lives of idolatry Saving Church on this beautiful July 14th, nice rainy day in McKinney, Texas, right out of our home. I praise praise the Lord for bringing us all here today and listen to the Word of God today as we break down uh, another chapter, another piece of Matthew. So if you guys will join me in a word of prayer as we open up for our service and bless the Word and get ready. Lord, we just uh, ask that you prepare us all. Ask that you please, Lord God, prepare us all for what we're going to hear today, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to understand. And just, Lord, I pray that you would help me to to show your heart with these scriptures today, Lord God. Everything that you've given me this whole week, the the amount of time that I prepared for this sermon and Lord, I just pray that you would bless it, every word of it, Lord God, and I pray you bless the hearers, all those all over the world, Lord, as we as we see, Lord, we have listeners from all over the world now, right now, Lord God, and, and not only do we have our little home church here, Lord, but we have listeners all over the world, and Indonesia, and Brazil, and France, and Germany, Lord, I'm so thankful, Lord God, that you're, you've, you've got these messages all over the world, Lord God, you put them, in, and even here in America, Lord, I pray that this message would resound, Lord God, not only here in this room, but also through the whole world, still powerful as all the others have, Lord God. I just pray you bless it, Lord, and bless us all here today. And keep distractions away, Lord God. Is That's what we're going to be talking on this first part of our sermon today, Lord God. We're going to be looking at the distractions that Jesus had to deal with, Lord, just in doing your work. And help us, just, Lord, keep our minds clean. Keep our minds pure, Lord. Help us to think clearly, Lord. I pray you block that enemy, block that devil. As he's going to try to make us stumble, try to make us think of other things, Lord God, than your word as we're listening to your word. And I pray you just block him out, Lord, and keep all the distractions away. May you be glorified in this place, and may we all understand clearly what you want from us today. And I ask these things, and I pray all these things, God, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So if you guys want to open up to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be in Matthew 
chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. Give everybody a moment to open up if they'd like. The name of our title of our sermon today is Out with the Old and In with the New. So be out with the old and in with the new. And I'm going to read the verses that we're going to study, and then we'll go methodically over them and we'll teach through them along with things that God has shown me this week. So let's read verse 14 in Matthew chapter 9. The Bible says, Then the disciples of John came to him, that would be Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment and the terror is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So, before we start this week, before we start into what all this means today, we have to bring up last week because we have that our first part of our message, the first probably, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes is going to really focus on that. And, it, and what are we going to look at from last week? Go with me to Matthew 9, 11. Because the important thing I want to focus on before we start our main message is what Jesus was doing, what Jesus was doing even here when John's disciples came. And actually, verse 10, 9, verse 10, and it says, Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came to him and sat down with him and his disciples. So Jesus, still in verse 14, I want to paint this picture for you, was sitting with these, not, well, his disciples were there too, but he was sitting with these tax collectors, the people that were the low ones of the society, the sinners, the people, the undesirables of society. He was sitting there with them, and they were eating together. Mark 2.15 tells us, now as it happened as he was dining in Levi's house, so we know by Mark 2.15, even though Matthew leaves it out, that Jesus was sitting in Matthew, the tax collector's house, and that's where they were sitting, and that's where they were eating. This point can very easily be overlooked, but it's something I felt God really throw on my heart as something to teach this week, as this is something that even you know today we had an experience with uh, before service today. So... And what happens is, is you got to paint this picture. Jesus is eating with the disciples and the tax collectors and the sinners, and he's sitting there, and they're eating together. And what happens first? Verse 11, Pharisees saw it, and they said to him, to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And then what happens second? Verse 14, our very first uh, verse of our scripture today, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast off and your disciples do not fast? The whole time this is happening, the whole time that these people have come against Jesus and they're coming up and they're asking questions, Jesus is eating. Jesus is sitting there with, with, with these people that the world doesn't want anything to do with. And what are they doing? Matthew 4.23 says, Jesus, when he went about all Galilee and he went teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And this area that they were in was in Galilee. So they're eating, and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God to them. And you'd think, Jesus, Son of God, God in the flesh, 
man, he'd be just sitting there and teaching and eating and everything would just be great. Not. He had all kinds of distractions, all kinds of irritations, all kinds of things that happened and that, that came in. And, and he's trying to spend some quality time with these people. He's trying to spend some quality time and tell them about the kingdom of God. And we see all these problems come up. Why am I making this point? Because even to this day, we saw even today, Satan, which is why, who makes all these things come, he doesn't stop even to this day. He still causes distractions. He still causes irritations. He still ca causes problems to happen even when, so if you're a Christian, expect as you're serving God, distractions and irritations and problems will come as you serve God. And there's even... We actually have a word for this. We call it ministry. So if you're going to do any ministry for God, just expect that you will face problems. All kinds of problems. And if that's not enough, we're not going to get to it this week. But look at chapter 9, verse 18. Now remember, he's still sitting, still eating, just dealt with the Pharisees, just dealt with the disciples of John. Verse 18, we're going to get to it next week. While he spoke these things to them, who is them? John's disciples. Behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So that's a third distraction that Jesus had. Now for us, that's going to be three weeks. We're going to spend three different weeks, and we looked at these things over a three-week period, these little instances, these little irritations that came in. But for Jesus, they were one right after the other, Right after the other, boom, boom, boom. He's, I mean, just right there. So it, it's amazing to me that Jesus, being who he was, still had to put up with the things that he had to put up with. You'd think he's God. After all, everything should have been perfect. He's the Son of God. Everything should have flowed just awesome for him. Well, that's not the case as we see here. And believe it or not, to this very day, not only ministry... But I have instances of my own that I have had where I've been ministering for God or I've been serving God or I've been spending time with God in my personal devotion time every day. I can't tell you how many times I go to pick up the Word of God and all of a sudden straight shooting into my mind, where did I leave my keys? Oh my gosh. Wait, did I roll the windows up on the car? Is it going to rain tonight? Oh, oh, um, then... Your child comes in, uh, Daddy, I've got to ask you something. And you're trying to spend time in the Word of God. What, what would be so bad about reading the Word of God? I can watch a TV program. I can read any other book that I want and hardly have anything happen at all. But go ahead, go and lo and behold, I try to pick up God's Word, the Bible, and things start happening. We, almost every night, four or five nights a week, we as a family have a family devotion time. We get together. And we open up the scriptures, and we pray together, one of us, each one of us, and then we read together, each one of us. And I cannot tell you the problems that come, just they just happen. And you think, what's the big deal? You're just trying to read the Bible. You're just, just trying to study God's Word, and big deal. But that's not the case. We have all kinds of issues that always come up, that don't come up any other time of the day, of course, but they have to come up right when you're trying to read the Word of God. In street ministry, I've been a street minister for 
12 to 13 years I've been ministering God's word on the street. And I've had instances I've had out on the streets talking to people about Jesus. That as I go out and I start to talk to people about Jesus, things happen. I'll never forget this one fellow. His name was Brahim. And I was talking to a couple Middle Eastern guys. I believe they were from Iran. And this fellow walks by. And I'm having a real nice conversation with these two guys. We're talking about Jesus. I'm sharing the word. I'm listening to them. They're listening to me. We're having a really, really nice conversation. And it had just so happened to turn out that they were agnostic, which means that they didn't really believe that Jesus was God or, is you know, Muhammad was Allah's prophet or they didn't believe in the Hindu religion. They didn't really believe in any religion. They just kind of were agnostic. They just kind of thought, well, you know, God, yeah, I, I see that. And so what happens? They were of Middle Eastern descent, so this fellow, Brahim, walking by. He stops, he stands right next to me like we'd been ministering for 20 years, and he says, hey, you guys are Muslims. What's going on? How you guys doing? Oh, let's talk about Islam. And the guys were offended. They were like looking at me going, and I'm like, hello, uh, excuse me, uh, I was having a conversation here. And they were really offended because... These guy, this guy came up and just assumed he judged this man and said, well, this, he, well, they, they look Middle Eastern, so therefore they must be Muslim. And in essence, they weren't. So very, very, very difficult. I was uh, ministering to another guy at the Shops at Legacy. I used to minister at the Shops at Legacy. And I had this fellow, and I said, hey, man, spent a few minutes talking to you about Jesus tonight. And he says, oh, man, I'm all right with Jesus. And I said, man, how do you know you're okay with Jesus? And he goes, oh, because I feel like it. And I said, well, man, how do you know? I mean, that's just a feeling. How do you know you're okay with God by a feeling? And as he was walking toward me with the conversation, walking toward me, ready to get engaged and talk about Jesus, these two young, this young couple that used to go to this other church that I went to came up and said, hey, Ed, how's it doing? Oh, you're having a conversation, huh? And right as I turned to look at him and acknowledge them, I look over and I said, oh, I'm doing real good. I look over and the guy goes, oh, man, hey, I'll see you later. So that blew a conversation of me talking about the Lord Jesus with that fellow. I was uh, just a, a month or so ago, I was at the Plano Bowl off of uh, Avenue K in Plano. And I was having a great conversation with this young fellow. And a fellow that used to come to church here, a homeless guy that lives in Plano, as I was having a really great conversation with this guy, this guy used to come to church here. And he knows that I'm a minister, knows I'm a street minister. What does he do? He comes right up. And he steps right in. Hey, man, how's it going, Ed? What's what's going on? And it, it's it's hard not to not be nice, but it's it's hey uh, hey man, um, hey I'll be with you in about five minutes, man. I'm, I'm trying to have this conversation here. And it's like Satan just comes in. He can't stand when people talk about the Word of God. He can't stand when people talk about Jesus. Can't stand it. And these interruptions stink. And you really have a hard time dealing with them. And if you don't deal with them properly, as we even saw this morning, how we dealt with that in a proper way, they really can destroy a conversation. They really can destroy a church service. They can really destroy. And in fact, we, I have some rules since I've been ministering on the street for a while for Jesus. I have some rules I usually minister with, with a partner. And we have some rules that if I'm or a partner of mine is ministering for the Lord and somebody comes up and there's somebody extra there, that other person will actually rotate over and they'll actually kind of cut off the person that's trying to cut off a conversation. And, you know, generally if you're having a conversation with somebody, and this this strikes up my mind because I work at a business in Allen, Texas, and generally when I'm in a conversation with somebody about work, but the job I do, 
uh, another customer, generally people will even come up and they'll wait patiently. Very, very, it's very nice. They'll wait there patiently. And then after I'm done, they'll, they'll come in and they'll ask me a question. But how many times I've been having a conversation with somebody about Jesus and people just don't think anything of it and they just step right in. Oh, hey, uh, oh, whoa, whoa, you're talking about Jesus. Oh, let's, let's have a conversation too. And it's like, I don't understand. You wouldn't do this in your own personal life. You wouldn't do this at Taco Bell. You wouldn't do this to the cashier at Walmart. You, you would wait or say, oh, pardon me, may I ask you a question? Oh, I'll be right with you, sir. And something like that would happen. But when you're talking about Jesus, people just feel... Satan's influence over others just causes them to just be drawn to interrupt and distract and, and just, you know, get in the way. So anyway, enough about me. Jesus in this respect. Look at him for a moment in these distractions right here. Jesus not only died on the cross for mankind's sins, and he suffered the whole way going to that cross, and he suffered while he hung on that cross, as he hung for the sins of man, he suffered terribly. But even before that, Jesus made it to the cross. Even before Jesus made it to the cross, he was constantly dealing with all kinds of terrible interruptions and difficult distractions with all kinds of chaos, just like we looked at here today. Now there's a song that I love. And I don't try to mention any names because I don't like to give anybody plugs. But the name of the song, it's a Christian song. It's called Your Love is Extravagant. And this song is a beautiful song. And although that particular phrase is not mentioned in the Bible, not even once, we see it played out in the actions of Jesus Christ every single time that he ministered. Because why did he go through all the stuff that he went through? Why did he put up with the distractions? Why did he put up with the interruptions? Why did he put up with all those things? Well, for one reason and for one reason only. To bring the gospel of God's kingdom to sinful man. And whether you know it or not, to me and every other person that's honest with themselves that realizes I'm a sinner, folks, we're not worth it. We're not worth it. We're sinful. And Christ was perfect and he didn't sin once. And yet he did that for us. So his love was, is, and always be extravagant. And this could be a whole sermon, but not today. Not today. I want to move on. I want to get to the main body of the message. I just really was burdened with that. And I spent, in fact, many hours on that, preparing just that little section of the sermon today. So I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but there it is. I just want to show you that... You know, just again, the word to somebody that's a Christian, if you're going to serve Christ, if you're going to serve God, expect for problems, expect for distractions, expect for things to happen always. You just be on your guard. So moving along, rest of today's teaching. So John's, John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus, and they ask him a question. What is that question? Let's look at this question in the first part of verse 15. It says in verse 15, And Jesus said to them, excuse me, the end of 14, excuse me, his disciples come to him and they say, why do we and the Pharisees fast often? But your disciples do not fast at all. Now, before I get to the question, I have to say that before I start the answers to all these, to, his, to their question that he gives them, I have to say that although he put up and he suffered so much for us to go through all these things and to put up with all these in, in interruptions and distractions, 
I really love the miracles and the information that came from the distractions and the interruptions that he put up with. Because the answer today, it's it's so rich and so beautiful and so powerful. And I just just have to say that. I just I hope that God would take the distractions that I've dealt with in my ministry for the Lord, and I hope that he turns them like he did for Christ here into absolutely rich spiritual food. Um, anyway, so their question. Their question is basically, simply, we and the Pharisees, we fast often, but we do not see you, basically, or your disciples fasting at all. It's actually a good question. It's most likely a fast of food. Generally, they fasted food for particular reasons. They fasted food in the Old Testament all throughout the Bible. For the, uh, uh, They fasted for the Day of Atonement, which was a Jewish kind of day, a holy day. They fasted for healing. They fasted for sorrow because a loved one died. They fasted for help in time of war. And even for forgiveness of sins that they had committed. They fasted to get, you know, to show God that they were interested, to show God, you know, I don't, I don't want to commit those sins anymore. I'm going to fast and show you that I'm, I'm really serious about getting away from that. And we, we can't be sure, because the Bible doesn't tell us and it's dangerous to think past what the scriptures tell us, but we can't be sure what exact fast that the disciples of John were talking about, but we just know that they did not see Jesus nor his disciples fasting at all, and so that's why they came, point taken. But it was a good question. Why was it a good question? Jesus was a holy man. Jesus was a teacher of God. Okay? Well, their current religious leadership of the day fasted often. And they saw Jesus as a really powerful spiritual leader. So it just makes sense. Well, hey, our fair, our you know leaders, the ones that are already here before you, they're fasting all the time. Why are you not fasting? I mean, it's a really good question. So the question is really... Why didn't they fast? Why didn't Jesus, because he certainly could have said, hey guys, it's important to fast. I want you guys to fast. The answer, first half of 15. Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? He gives them the answer, but he also gives them a very deep, rich picturesque look at another thing. He gives them a look at the old covenant of God and the new covenant of God that God gave to mankind through the, the blood of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for us. So we're going to hear a lot of terms in this next section that we're going to go through about the old covenant and the new covenant. I just wanted to give a broad overview of what they were. The old covenant was made by God to the children of Israel actually was made with a man called Abraham, who was an Old Testament patriarch that God met up with back in the thousands of years ago. And God loved him, and Abraham loved God, and so God made a covenant with Abraham by all these sacrifices. It's called the Old Covenant, or the Law, and God made with Abraham, and then his descendants, so it would be all the children of Israel as a whole, all the Jewish people, God made a covenant with them. And then the New Covenant... What we look at that is the new covenant was a new covenant that God made through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is what the New Testament of our Bible talks about. It talks about the new covenant, a covenant that God, a deal, you say, or a pact, or an agreement that God made with people, not at, well, Jew and Gentile alike, a new covenant 
uh, a new agreement that God made with man, not by the law of God, but by the Bible talks, by grace through faith, with Christ's blood being the center of that. So you're going to hear a lot of New Testament, Old Testament, New Covenant, Old Covenant. So I just wanted to lay that foundation work there. So, what did Jesus answer them with? He answered them with a question at first. Jesus was good at that. He answered people when they came to him with a question. They asked the question, and then he would ask them a question back. They definitely for sure, because they were being under the old covenant, the new covenant wasn't started until Christ's death on the cross, until he resurrected, the old covenant, they definitely wouldn't have understood anything of what Jesus told them. Because as we read along, we're going to look at some of the things that Jesus said, and, and we're going to see how profound they were. But then John's disciples basically came asking, hey, why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus gave them a mountain and a half, ten mountains of information that he gave them, and they definitely wouldn't understand it. But, you know, what does the Bible say? Jesus being God, James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. Well, they asked Jesus for some information, and Jesus being God, if we ask God liberally, hey, Lord God, would you tell me the answer to this question? God's going to give you the answer to the question that you're asking him. Simply, it says it right there. So what do we see in Jesus' reply? Let's break it down. Number one, let's look at Jesus' reply. He says at first in verse 15, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Notice, very first thing we see, Jesus calls the disciples, their question was about the disciples. Why do your disciples not fast? Notice right off the bat, Jesus calls his disciples friends. That's very, very important. What is the opposite of a friend? We'll say acquaintance, but that's really a type of a friend. We'll say, well, we just kind of know them randomly, but that's still a type of an acquaintance or a type of a friend. But what is the opposite of a friend? Well, that would be an enemy. Jesus speaks about that later in Matthew 12.30. He says, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So as you're listening today, think of this whole time about fasting and about the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. But if you get anything out of this scripture, anything out of this teaching at all, know that if you're not a friend of God, if you're not a disciple, a friend of God, the Bible says that you're, you by your own choice, by your own decision, are making yourself an enemy to God. And that's very important. We'll get to that later. Number two, he calls himself the bridegroom. Can the friends of the bridegroom, he's speaking of himself, fast while the bridegroom is still with them? Now, wait a minute. If anybody in here doesn't know, Jesus never was engaged. He never got married. He never had a love of his life, a special lady that was in his life that he, he gave kisses to outside of Mary, his mother. So what, what, did he, what does he mean, bridegroom? Well, Merriam-Webster, definition of bridegroom, a man just married or a man about to be married. What is he talking about? I, I don't understand. I mean, bridegroom? Huh? I don't understand. 
Well, remember I told you that he gives us these rich, deep, picturesque looks at the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Well, he's referring to a future event in Revelation 19.9, when it's right before everything in the whole world is about to be rolled up and thrown into the lake of fire. It's all going to be destroyed. Everything you see is all going to be destroyed, the Bible says. And he says, it says in Revelation 19.9, an angel speaking what John says, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So he referenced himself as the bridegroom because this is a term, it's a picture of Christ's resurrection. Because he says here, what, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days are coming when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. He's speaking about his death. And then they'll fast once I'm dead. But then he, to show us the look of what he's talking about, he, he mentions that he's the bridegroom, referencing him, going to be coming back to life. Yes, I'll be taken away, but yes, I'll be coming back to life. I'll be resurrected in the end time. I'll be resurrected, and in the end, I'm going to marry, and my friends will all come. So, back half of verse 15. <clears throat> Pass the question. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they will fast. Short answer in today's English language. Very short answer, because I gave you the long one. Very short answer. They're not going to fast now, but once I'm dead. So I don't want them to fast now until they're under the new covenant that God's going to make in my blood. That's short, that's short answer for everything we're going to look at now. And in verses 16 and 17, bear with me. It's very tedious. It's going to be very in-depth. But God has opened up some amazing and awesome understanding and a lot of research, so just bear with me. We read about the new covenant. Definition of covenant, I, covenant, I said before, in short, arrangement. And Jesus is so awesome. In his reply to them, he just could have said, they're not going to fast now, they'll fast later. But he didn't say that. He didn't say that. He gave the long answer that described so much rich detail of the New Covenant and the Old Covenant and why the Old Covenant is really doesn't work anymore and the New Covenant God had to make. So let's look at the first picture that he gives in verse 16. Read verse 16 with me. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch pulls away from the garment, and the terror is made worse. So he is describing a pair of pants, an old shirt, a shirt, pair of pants, that's all faded out. It's all worn out. Look at the end of 16. And the terror is made worse. So we have a terror. We have damage to the old pair of pants, to the old shirt. It's been torn. And what we have is we have a picture of somebody coming in and taking a brand new patch of clothing and trying to sew that patch of new clothing in to a, an old pair of pants or to an old shirt. Well, if you're not familiar with this kind of thing, because I, I, I was a little, but I really kind of looked some detail into this, as you, can, as you make a brand new pair of pants or a, a brand new shirt, 
It's new. And as you wash that shirt, and everybody that's a seamstress or everybody that's ever made anything or had clothes, a mom out there is going to know exactly what I'm talking about. But as you wash that shirt, those pair of pants, the, the fabric just starts to shrink a little bit. The water and the heat, it makes those pair of pants, it makes that shirt kind of shrink a little bit as you keep washing, as you keep wearing, as you keep washing and wearing and so on and so forth. But now he's talking about that old pair gets a little rip in there. Well, I want to repair that rip. So what does Jesus say? Jesus said, somebody's going to try to take a new patch, and he's going to try to stitch a new patch onto that old pair of jeans, that old shirt. What happens is, as soon as you try to wash that old shirt or those old pair of pants again, what's going to happen is, is that, old pair of sh that old shirt or old pair of pants, they've already shrunk a lot. They're still shrinking just a little bit, but they're, they're going to shrink very, 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 very little. But what really happens is that new piece of cloth hasn't shrunk at all yet. So as you wash them and as they're worn, that new patch that somebody tried to put in there is going to shrink a lot. And what's going to happen when a new patch shrinks where another patch is not is it's going to pull away from the old pair of pants or that old shirt. Now that's the, think of that. Jesus always painted pictures of the physical world. So he helped us by telling us pictures of the spirit of the physical world to help us understand the spiritual world. Because fasting is a spiritual thing that you do before God. People, some people fast if they have a medical reason, they've got to go to the hospital, <clears throat> excuse me, and they have to go in for some surgery, they might have to fast. But but we're talking here that the, the context is fasting for a spiritual reason. Fasting for God. So John's disciples are sitting here and they're going, Well dude, I can imagine what's in their minds. Dude, we just asked you why you're not you and your disciples aren't fasting before God. Why, why are you telling me about a tunic? Why are you telling me about a pair of pants? What what does that have to do with anything about fasting? I mean, come on, Jesus, really? Again, now we're going to look at, because Jesus always gave these parables, these little stories to help us understand the spiritual side of the things of God. So, we know why the patch on the, on the new patch won't work on the old. Remember I said, notice the garment is broken or torn. End of verse 16. That's very important. So the implication here is if you have an old garment, you cannot put a new patch on an old garment or it'll be ruined worse. So don't even bother doing it. So depending on how bad and old the garment is, it really needs to be thrown away and tossed out. Well, it just so happens that we have a spiritual example that's given in our New Testaments in Romans chapter 8. If you guys like to go to Romans chapter 8, I'll give you a moment to turn. <clears throat> I had advice this past week that I should give a few more moments to let people turn in their Bibles, so I'm taking that advice. I think it was some good advice. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And we have a spiritual example that the Apostle Paul, who was a disciple or an apostle of Jesus Christ, gives us in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Read it with me if you'd like. Paul writes, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So there's no condemnation to those that are under the law? No. No. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That means... Condemnation is coming to mankind because of our sin. But 
Paul writes, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember, we're talking about Old Covenant and New Covenant here. And he says, and he who does not, and who do, and who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So we have a picture there of the new covenant. We have a picture of the law of the Spirit of life in Christ. Not the law of the Spirit of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, but the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. But verse 3 really sinks it, really hits it on the head. He says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So what could the law not do? What could the law of the Old Testament of the Old Covenant not do according to Paul? It could not take away the sin of mankind. So side note, to anyone that wants to try to live by the law or the Old Covenant of God, if you don't keep everyone, as Jesus told us in Matthew 4 or 5, if you don't keep every one of the laws of God, every one of the things that God said to do, if you don't keep one, you didn't keep them all, Jesus said. So the law was and is broken. And your sins can only be taken away by Christ Jesus and no other way. That's exactly what Romans 8 just told us. Jesus supports this in Matthew 26, 27 and 28. If you guys want to turn there, I'll give you a moment. Matthew 26, 27 and 28. And now we're in the Last Supper. Jesus is sitting with His disciples and they're having the Last Supper. It's right before Christ was going to be killed for the sins of mankind and He was going to be buried for three days and then He was going to raise again. It says, Jesus here, then He, Jesus, took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. For what? The remission of sins. The law could not take away your sin. So what did God do? He made a new covenant that Jesus talks about in Matthew 26. The new covenant, which is His blood, which is shed for the remission of, the, of sins. So, Old Covenant, Old Covenant was broken, New Covenant couldn't fix it, is the picture that Jesus gives it here. The New Covenant could not fix the Old Covenant because the Old Covenant was broken. And the New Covenant, the new patch, the analogy, the physical example that Jesus gives us here, the New Covenant couldn't fix the Old Covenant. Jesus gave that analogy of the Old Covenant, old pair of pants, old shirt, it's broken, it has a tear. If it's that old, we got to throw it away. So you can't patch an old pair of pants with a new patch of pants. you got to just either find an old pair of pants, which in, in spiritual analogy, there's no other old covenant but one. There's no other old patch that you can find spiritually because there was only one old covenant. There was only one law. you got to throw those pair of pants away, and we had to have a new covenant. The new covenant in Christ Jesus' blood. Second picture we see is in verse 17. 
So let's read this second picture and see some more in-depth understanding from Christ here. Matthew 9, 17. He says, Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are and the wineskins are ruined. Would also be the wine, but they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So again, go back to John. I like to always paint the picture. John's disciples standing there, going, "Man, is he ever gonna stop? What? Yeah, I like wine, but what? What does that have to do with fasting?" Jesus, please. We just want to know about fasting before God. What does it? What, what does a wineskin and what? What does that matter? So simply put, in the physical, can't put new wine into old wineskins because it'll break. New wine needs to be put into new wine wineskin for them both to be preserved. And that's understandable. I can understand that. But why? And I mean, I kind of knew, but again, I went to some. Went to a site and I had to do my own research because I wanted to find out in depth and in detail what turns out in that day that they, like we do today, have a wine fermenting process. And what did they put the wine into? But they put it into cleaned animal skins. We'd know it better as rawhide, something along those lines. Well, wine skins or old animal skin that's old doesn't expand nor shrink. Once it's old, it's dried out, it's hard. A new wineskin is a new piece of animal flesh, a new piece of skin from an animal that's still got juices in it. It's still got flexibility in it. And Jesus said you got to put the new wine into new wineskins because as it turns out, in the wine fermentating process, their first process, a lot of gases are released. And then once the first process is over, they put the wine into the wine skin and they cap it and they core it to let it wait and let it ferment completely. Well, as that fermentation process still continues to go on, more gas is released. So as the gas is released, the wine skin, if it's new, will expand a little bit with that because it's not all dried out and hard and broken and cracky. It'll expand with that gas and even if the gases are ever released, it'll kind of sink out a little bit. So we have the wine fermenting process. So that's all well and good. But how does that carry over to the spiritual context that Jesus is trying to give them answers to their question about fasting for God? The spiritual picture of the new covenant, as well as why there would have to be a new covenant, would be found in Jesus' answer. And for the spiritual side of things, if you want to go to Hebrews chapter 8, we'll be in 7 through 13. Anybody's interested? Hebrews chapter 8. Verses 7 through 13. And I promise you, as you're looking at this scripture, I promise you, as you're looking at these six or seven verses, that I didn't cheat any of these words. Because what it's going to really look like as we read this is the writer of Hebrews was absolutely looking at these four verses here that Jesus is talking about where he was in this this teaching. Let's read them. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 17. He says, Now remember... New wine, new wine skins. New wine can't be put in old wine skins. New covenant, old covenant. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. For if that first covenant 
had been faultless. So if the first covenant had been perfect, that first wineskin had been perfect, there had been no place would have been made or sought for a second. But verse 8, writer Hebrews says, because finding fault with them, remember the a covenant is an agreement. Because finding fault with them, so God found fault with the people that had the agreement given to them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. So he's very specific in talking about which covenant, which deal he's talking about. We're not talking about any, we're talking about the one when Israel came out of Egypt when God gave him the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, when God gave him the law. Because they did not continue in my covenant. And I disregarded them, says the Lord. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their mind and write them on their hearts. Now remember, we just talked about new wine needing to be put into new wine skins. Here we have, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. It sounds like God's putting something, a new covenant, he just referred to it, into people, into something else. And he goes on and says, And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Verse 13, our last verse. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now, it's as if he absolutely was reading this section of scripture that Jesus had recorded about him talking about the new wine and the new wine skins. See, the old covenant couldn't hold the new covenant that God gave through Christ's blood. Why? Back to verse 10 of Hebrews. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. So God is talking about putting something new into someone. We're not going to keep the old. We're going to put some new wine. We're going to put the new wine. We've got to put it in the new wineskins. God's saying, I will put something new into people. What new is God going to put in people? Well, the writer of Hebrews is talking about God's Holy Spirit that he gives to mankind after somebody accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and says, I want to be in Christ. I don't want to be out of Christ. I want to be in Christ. God at that moment supernaturally puts new wine into us and makes us new, and that new wine being God's Holy Spirit. That's why he that's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5:17. I'm gonna shoot off a couple here. If you don't want to turn, that's fine. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
And again in Galatians 6.15, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but a new creation. And Jesus tops it off in John 3.3 while he answers Nicodemus, and he puts the cap on this whole issue. And he says to Nicodemus, he says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Under the new covenant, people become new wine skins because of the new wine, the Holy Spirit that God gives to those who desire to know Jesus Christ. Jesus affirms this in John 16, 7, when he's speaking of his death, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. But that's still not in. That's still not in what Jesus had put new wine in new wineskin. Oh, John 14, 15 and 17, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my ways. Follow me. Show me your love, is what he's saying. 16, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. But you say, Ed, it's still not in. When? Verse 17, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He will be in you. So it was absolutely necessary for God to get rid of the old and bring in the new. Ironic, that's the title of our sermon today. And John's disciples asked a simple question. And they and I and I bet everybody here got absolutely way more than they bargained for. I never thought we would get this deep on some simple questions. One simple question that John's disciples asked Jesus. So in closing, only one thing stands and remains. Only one thing stands and remains. Where do you stand with Jesus Christ today? Number one, are you under the old covenant? Or do you live your life by the law? And you're bound by the law. And you try to do lots of good and hard things by the law. And you try to work your way and you try to be really good before God. And you just got to just work and keep working. Because maybe if I keep doing all these good deeds, if I keep doing all these good things, maybe God will be happy with me then. Maybe God will just see my good works and he'll smile and he'd say, All right. Well, remember we saw in Hebrews today that God rejects that covenant or that arrangement with man. God rejects your good works that you could ever do to be right before Him. You cannot make yourself right by the good works that you do in your life because unless you keep the whole of the law and you keep every one of God's commands, every one of the laws of God that He gave, you broke them all, Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 5 that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. We find that the old is gone and the new is come. There's only one sacrifice that God is satisfied with for your sin, and that's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ's death on the cross for your sins. You see, God saw the plight of man, He saw that man was sinful. And we weren't right before. Remember Hebrews. He was dissatisfied with them 
Why was he dissatisfied with them? Because they could not keep his law. So God saw that man was doomed. God saw that man couldn't make his way to heaven on his own by anything that he could do. So God, seeing that, could have said, ah, I'll throw it away. They're gone. I'll just start over. I'll just make new people. But he didn't do that. He came in the likeness of man, in the likeness of sinful flesh, to do what? To die and take every sin, past, present, and future, on himself, on the cross, and bear it all, because Jesus did keep the whole of the law. Amen. From birth unto death. He didn't sin once. Not one time. He kept all the law. And through Him, and through His sacrifice, God can be pleased and is pleased with what He did, not with what you can do as far as works goes. That's the Gospel. Out with the old and in with the new. How would we rectify that? You have to turn away. It's called repentance from the old covenant. You have to turn away from the old law. You have to stop living your life to be right with God by the law. And come and surrender to Jesus and surrender to Him and His sacrifice for what He did for you on the cross and dying for your sins. Because God is happy with His sacrifice. God is satisfied with Christ Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Amen. Not with your good works, people. Not with your good works. Out with the old and in with the new. But maybe you say, I'm not there, Ed. I, I, you know, I don't try to work my way into heaven. I, I'm not there. Maybe, maybe you believe in Jesus and you believe that you even love Him and you call Him your Lord. But really, Jesus is on the back burner of your life. And you really, in essence, you live for yourself and you do the things in life that you really want to do. And you, you know, you know, God is there. And hey, I got five Bibles and they're on my shelf. And like when we go down to Harry Hines, we've had accounts of people say Bibles are on the dashboard of people's cars while they're pulling into the club to go commit fornication, to go commit harlotry, to go commit sexual immorality. You say, but I love and I know Jesus. And you do the things that God says no to, which that would be called sin. And it really doesn't bother you. And, you know, and even if it does, I'm okay, because you know what? Man, God is so graceful. Boy, he, He's so much love, and He's got so much grace, and He just loves me so much. Do you excuse your sin and talk about the grace of God? Because I hear people talk about that. I, I'm alright, because you know what? God gave His grace for my sin. Well, I sit here before you and tell you that you're wrong. The Bible says that you're in trouble. Paul talks about in one of his epistles, he says, Shall we sin so that grace may abound all the more? And he says, Absolutely not. We find in Scripture that the one that tramples on the blood of Christ is as bad as somebody, worse than somebody, that never absolutely knew ever who Jesus was at all. And what does it mean that Jesus is your Lord? What's the remedy for that? Well, the Bible says right now you're not okay before God. You're not okay before Jesus Christ. Because although you accept His sacrifice on the cross, although you accept what He did for you, 
you accept that, you believe that, you even, you know, you, you really like that's a good thing that he did for you. It doesn't mean anything to you. It doesn't mean a thing. It's just another thing that happened. Oh, that's, that's nice. I believe it. It's wonderful. The Bible says that you're wrong and you're on your way to hell because the Bible says that Jesus needs to be your Lord, not only just your Savior, but He needs to be your Lord. What does it mean that Jesus is your Lord? Stop sinning. Turn away from sin. Turn away from the things that God hates and turn and see the things that Jesus Christ said to do and follow Him. Jesus said, It is only those that do the will of my Father that shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's only those that decide to follow Him and decide to keep an interest and live a life of interest unto God. Only that life shall be the one that God will save. Because if you don't turn away from your sin, if you don't show God you're interested in Him and you keep living your sinful life and you keep doing your thing, then you're going to stand before God one day and God's going to say, My son, I gave you every opportunity. I reached out to you. I told you the truth. I gave you the opportunity. And you chose to say, I like that, that's good, but it didn't impact your life. Nothing I did for you changed your life. It was just another event. Hey, I went to work today. I worked eight hours. It was no different than that. You chose in your life. You wanted to live for you. You wanted to do the things you wanted to do. You didn't want to regard me. You didn't want to look at me. You didn't want to hold anything I said to do. By your own admission, by your own choice, be gone. That's what you chose in life. That's what you'll choose for death. So, repent. Please repent. Turn away from wickedness. Turn away from evil. Turn away from sin. Turn to Christ. Surrender to Him. Again, it's always the same. Turn away from whatever you're doing that God hates and start practicing the things that God loves and really surrender to Christ. But you say, but Ed, I'm right with God. I live for Him every day. I love Him. I keep His ways. I trust in Him. I follow Him. I say, praise the Lord. I say, keep going. I say, keep trusting in Christ. It's not easy to trust. It's easy to fall off and try to rely on your works. It's easy to fall off. I've been a Christian almost 14 years, and Satan's always hitting me. He's always trying. Oh, you're a really righteous person, Ed. Oh, that's really righteous. And the moment I start to think I'm okay with God because of how I live, that's the moment that I start to fall. Because that's the moment that I think I'm righteous or my righteousness means something before God. When that's not what God's looking for. Not, he's not looking for that at all. He's looking for His Son's righteousness over you, not your righteousness to exceed His Son's. Because unless you've kept the whole of the law, never sinned once from date of birth to date of death, and even committed one sin, you're guilty of them all. You're guilty of them all. Keep going, Christian. Keep going, follower of Christ. Keep going. I exhort you. Keep growing. Keep growing. Keep drawing near to God. Keep falling in love with Him. And of course, tell others about Him, please. The Bible says that many are on their way to destruction, but few will find everlasting life. But please, go out there and start telling people about Jesus because the world needs Him. Pray with me. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for these words. Thank you so much for your plain words, Lord God. Thank you so much that we sook today and we found.
Lord, it would have been so easy just to brush across these verses and spend... I've read in this section of Scripture before, it taken me 15, 20 seconds. But now here we are, over 55 minutes, talking about this word. It's so deep, Lord. Your word says, if you seek, you shall find, Lord. And we found today. We found so much today. God, I pray that you would move on the hearts and minds and lives and souls of those who heard this message today. And I pray, dear God, that they would repent if they're not right with you, Lord God. Stop living by their works. Stop living by their actions. Stop living by, I got to be right before God. I got I to gotta work to make Him happy. And our one work that you want is repentance. Our one act of repentance, continuing daily to surrender to Christ and give our lives to Him and look at Him for how He lived and just live and desire to live as He lived, Lord God. And do the things that Jesus did, and that's what you want us to do. Follow Jesus, and then you'll clean us up as we go. I pray, Lord God, that you would save anybody that's listening to this message. It's not yours. Save them, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that you would touch the hearts of the people that are maybe out there that are listening and, and they're living in sin and they still say, I know Jesus. Oh, uh, yeah, I, oh, I love him. I, I believe I love him, but they can't even tell me how. Biblically, if you don't know how, you can tell me you love Jesus. Lord, show them they're in trouble. Break them, Lord God. Bring them to repentance, Lord Jesus Christ. Bring them to true salvation with a surrendered life to Jesus as Lord of their lives, not just another name or not just another word that they know about. And Lord God, for the Christian that's listening, Lord, I pray that you would exhort them to move for many good works. For you came to fulfill the law and the prophets. You did not come to destroy it. It's still there. It still convicts sinners of their sinfulness. And good works and the law are a good thing to do, but it's not a good thing to do, Lord Jesus, that we may earn our salvation for you. It's a good guide to how we should live our lives in a good moral way. And I pray that we would continue to push forward and persevere by grace through faith and not of ourselves and not of works, lest any man should boast before you. For you are the Savior, Lord God. You are the Savior of the world, not us. I love you. I praise you. I bless you. And I thank you, Lord Jesus. And I ask these things in your mighty Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We would like to thank everyone who has joined us today to listen to Pastor Ed Spagnoli. Bring us more biblical truth as he preaches verse by verse through the Bible. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged to respond to the word of the Lord today, as one life will soon be passed, and only what is done for Jesus Christ will last. If you would like to support this ministry, or contact us for prayer, or for any reason at all, please visit gospelsavingchurch.com and enjoy our beautiful new website and click on the appropriate links. God bless you.